wildfire worries. It takes sometimes a week for conditions to change quite drastically. Predicting the likelihood of another searing summer and whether BC is prepared for it. Falling fortunes. I believe buyers have an opportunity right now. It's a great time to buy. BC real estate prices drop for the first time in two years. And no rooms for refugees. People don't have time to do their research or even find accommodation. BC's shortage of emergency accommodation for those fleeing Ukraine. You're watching Global BC. This is Global News Hour at 6. Good evening and thanks for joining us. We'll have those stories for you in just a moment, but we begin with breaking news of an arrest in the murder of Trina Hunt. This was a very high-profile case. The 48-year-old Port Moody woman was reported missing in January of 2021. Her body found about three months later. And our Sarah McDonald is live in studio with us now with the breaking details. Sarah? Yeah, Chris, Sophie, this is the development that Hunt's loved ones have been waiting for for a year and a half now. Less than two hours ago, an arrest was finally made in this case. Here is what we know and what we can report at this point. The integrated homicide investigation team confirming to Global News that one man has been arrested in connection to the death of Trina Hunt. No charges have been laid at this point, so IHIT will not release the name of that individual. But we can confirm a sizable police presence was seen outside the Port Moody house that Trina shared with her husband, Ian, this afternoon. Trina Hunt vanished in January of 2021. The last person to see her alive was her husband. Her remains were found months later near Hope in March of that same year. Homicide investigators and Port Moody police have been tight-lipped on this case from the get-go. We are waiting for charges to be laid in this case so we can report the name of that suspect arrested today. We do have a reporter headed to the Hunt family home now. We will have a live report coming up later in the show. But given the timeline of this arrest on a Friday afternoon, it is likely the person arrested today will make his first court appearance on Monday on which what would have been Trina Hunt's 50th birthday. So some sad irony there. Chris Sophie certainly is. Okay, thanks very much, Sarah. Well, we are just 17 days away from the official start of summer and the Provincial Wildfire Service is out with its forecast for the coming season. As Paul Johnson reports, while conditions look favorable for the first part of the summer, as British Columbians have learned, the situation can change almost overnight. So from record flooding to unprecedented wildfires, the last couple of years have been challenging for British Columbians. Indeed. Starting with last summer's scorching heat dome, it's felt to many like our weather has departed from normal. Now just weeks away from the season that brings peak wildfires, if you're feeling a bit of anxiety, you wouldn't be alone. But you ought to take some comfort in the province's first wildfire weather outlook of the season. Here's the likelihood of another early summer heat dome. So right now there's nothing like that on the horizon, but uh, we'll obviously be keeping keeping a close eye on that throughout the summer season. While forecaster Matt McDonald hedges that by pointing out predictions are much less accurate for anything more than two weeks into the future. The absence of a hundred-year heat wave combined with a cool and wet spring for much of the province would appear to put us in a different position from last summer. Officially, it's already been a quiet start to the wildfire season with less than half the numbers of fires than we'd normally see. And there's still deep snow in the mountains where lightning strikes often start fires. Though the conditions are looking good, the province has been preparing since the end of last wildfire season. 
and that's done because we don't know whether it's going to be a wet June or a, you know, a quick start to the fire season or a slow start to the fire season. But uh, the fire service has been working uh, to get resources in place for whatever uh, the year uh, has to offer. And that could still amount to multiple destructive fires. While things are looking good right now, July and August could still end up being hotter than normal. Any experienced forecaster will tell you once they've built a model, they also prepare to ditch it. It doesn't take very long. It takes a matter of, you know, sometimes a week for, for conditions to, to change quite drastically. Paul Johnson, Global News. All right, we're going to bring in Keith Baldry now to talk more about the costs of fighting these wildfires and the promise, Keith, that the province made to approach wildfire season in a different way. Yeah, we really had no choice because we're spending a heck of a lot of money every year, pretty well every year, fighting forest fires. Record on last year and a couple of years before that. Here's how the five-year uh, breakdown uh, looks like in terms of what we're spending every year in terms of tax dollars. Uh, 2021, a record high, $801 million. 2020 and 20, uh, 2019, relatively low, which was great. But look at those two years before that, uh, more than $600 million. On average, close to half a billion dollars a year is being spent. That's money that's greater than 10 different ministries government ministry budget. So it's a huge amount of money. But Forest Minister Katrina Conroy making the point today, things hopefully are different this year because there's way more proactive work being underway in the forest. Here's the minister. That's why our most recent budget included a total of $359 million in new funding to protect British Columbians from wildfires. We have made the largest investment in the history of BC Wildfire Service. This includes $145 million that will help us to transform the organization from into a year-round service and shift from its current reactive model, focused fighting fires after they start, to a much more proactive model. So some of the work that's being done and has been being going on for weeks is getting rid of some of the fuel off the floor, wood waste and such, which can really lead to huge blazes that we've seen in past years. Hopefully that's going to have a positive impact this summer. In terms of how much we're going to spend on it, we spend what we need to spend, quite frankly. People ask me what the fire, firefighting budget is. There's not really a budget. There's an estimate, but it's not like they're going to stop fighting forest fires that threaten a town simply because that estimate has been exceeded. So hopefully we don't hit that record number that we hit last year. Exactly. A lot of people hoping that. Thanks, Keith. Well, from fires to floods and the latest now on that heavy rain forecast for parts of the province this weekend. Meteorologist Yvonne Shell is here with more. We're already starting to see it, Yvonne. What are the areas of concern? The interior will be a big concern. That's where we'll be on flood watch. We had a wave of rain that pushed in through the day today. We had a severe thunderstorm watch that has now ended for the southern interior. But as we get in towards both days out of the weekend, the latter half will be the big concern. And these are the reasons why. River Forecast Centre has issued the high stream flow advisory. Those are all areas in yellow. But the flood watch, the big concern, the Thompson, Kelowna and Boundary regions will be included within that. And then the heavier rain is likely going to push in. And the timeline will be for Saturday night leading in towards our Sunday, likely seeing the peak on Sunday. So keep that in mind. And with the flood watch, the river levels are rising and may exceed bankful. Flooding of areas adjacent to rivers may occur with the peak of it for the latter half of the weekend. Precipitation amounts, we've got that for the south coast, anywhere between 10 and up to 20. We could see a few spots upwards of 30 millimeters. So again, we'll be tracking that likely in towards Saturday night for our Sunday. We also have a few other spots that will see some active weather over the weekend. That coming up very shortly. So, All right. Thanks, Yvonne. All right. Clearly, some residents will be on edge in the shoe swap. An evacuation alert has been reissued for residents living in the Sycamuse Creek Mobile Home Park. District officials say the threat of a landslide near Wiseman Creek in Sycamuse is increasing due to the heavy rain forecast for that region. 
A similar alert was issued for the area about a month ago. A geotechnical report found damage to the slopes above the park from last year's wildfires made the land unstable, increasing the risk of a slide. The regional district says in the event an evacuation order is uh, issued, residents will be given as much notice as possible, but they should be ready to leave with enough supplies for at least 72 hours at any time. North Vancouver RCMP are asking for your help as they investigate a vicious attack earlier this week. Mounties say a 26-year-old man was slashed on the arm in an altercation with a group of four to five people outside the C-Bus terminal just after nine on Wednesday night. The group ran from the scene, but officers on patrol at the Fibs Exchange bus loop later located two teenagers who matched descriptions provided by witnesses. A 17-year-old boy and a 13-year-old boy were detained. Both of them said to be armed with machetes. They were arrested for possession of a weapon for a dangerous purpose. Both have been released with conditions into the custody of their guardians. Police are asking anyone in the area with video evidence or who might have witnessed the fight to contact them. Some good news for people in 100 Mile House who need emergency health care. The ER will reopen sooner than expected. The emergency room at 100 Mile District General Hospital closed this morning at 8 a.m. and wasn't supposed to reopen until 8 a.m. tomorrow. But Interior Health has now secured a doctor, which means the ER will be open for patients at 8 p.m. tonight. Until then, people who need emergency care are being asked to go to Williams Lake, which is an hour away, or Kamloops, which is a two-hour drive. Higher interest rates continue to have a calming influence on the real estate market, with the latest numbers showing sales are still sagging, and now even prices are coming down, if only slightly. As the Matagahi reports, rising rates are proving to be both good and bad news for buyers. For months now, the rate at which homes in Metro Vancouver change hands has been declining. Now the prices are starting to follow. That upward pressure is starting to go away and, and uh, even we've seen some small declines in the last 30 days. In the Fraser Valley region, May saw the benchmark price for a detached home drop 2.4% compared to the month before. Townhomes and condos are also declining. A similar story in Greater Vancouver where detached and townhome prices stumbled in comparison by 0.4% compared to April. The outlier in this region, condos, which saw a slight increase. I truly believe the slowdown uh, benefits the buyer. It's an opportunity for them to place an offer without being rushed. For the home sellers, uh, I think they need to really understand today's market conditions and price their house accordingly as well. Uh, you don't want to get caught up trying to chase yesterday's prices. You really want May's decline in lower mainland home prices happens simultaneously with interest rate hikes by the Bank of Canada, which is now desperate to slow inflation. Earlier this week, the bank increased its key interest rate for the third time this year, up by 50 basis points to 1.5%. What they could have qualified for three months ago, they're qualifying for less now. This has not only made payments increase for those with a current variable rate mortgage, but also for new mortgage applications. Previously, an approval for a $500,000 mortgage at 1.5% would have cost a monthly payment of just under $2,000. Now that same approval is likely to come with a fixed rate of 4.5%, costing $2,700 a month. Add on a 2% stress test, and that monthly payment is above $3,300. 
We have been spoiled with some very low interest rates, but it's not realistic to maintain that. Strong language from the bank's deputy governor almost guarantees interest rates will keep climbing. Despite this, real estate experts are hesitant to call the price drop a trend until it continues for at least two or three months. Emadagahi, Global News. Ukrainians dropping everything to escape to Canada. Unfortunately, in some cases, we're failing them when they get here. That story's next on the News Hour. The 50th anniversary of the Rolling Stones riot, remembering a wild night in BC rock and roll history later. And half a world away, how a little boy from Ireland ended up an accredited member of the North Shore Rescue Team. Right now, though, it's been 100 days since the Russian invasion of Ukraine. Thousands of lives lost and millions more upended as Ukrainians are forced to flee their country. And many of those refugees have come to B.C., but their arrival has been rocky. Despite government promises to help them get settled, finding the right resources and a place to live is proving to be a challenge. Aaron MacArthur reports. At the Holy Eucharist Cathedral in New Westminster, the services are needed non-stop. Health, employment, housing. And in order to meet these basic needs, Father Mikhailo Ozorovich says for the first time in the parish's history, they've had to hire people to help manage the crisis. Our capacity is already at the max. We try to, 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 to expand it a bit more, to help as many as we can. The most pressing need, housing. For the first time this week, a man arrived at YVR to find there was no space available. He was forced to spend the night at the airport. So far, volunteers have managed to settle about 500 families in B.C., but any more may have a longer wait. Of the two volunteer teams working on resettlement, one has stopped taking registrations. The other may be full by the end of June. We are seeing a huge volume, and it's just out of our capacity. We are volunteers. We have no settlement uh, you know, uh, qualifications. We, we just do what we can. In the first five months of 2022, just more than 33,000 people arrived from Ukraine. But the numbers are expected to increase rapidly. Of the more than 278,000 who have applied for temporary emergency resident visas, more than 127,000 have been approved. The B.C. government scrambling to find more permanent living arrangements in the middle of a housing crisis. They're also looking at other opportunities, renting hotels and making more spaces available uh, for the medium and longer term because, of course, these permits, these visas allow people to be here for up to three years. The federal government has announced financial help for refugees. Volunteer groups say at a minimum the government needs to be prepared to support refugees for up to a year. Yeah, one time, one time $3,000 per adult is, um, is good enough for a monthly rent, I would say. A hundred days into the invasion with no end in sight... Organizations now having to pivot from emergency needs to providing ongoing support. Aaron MacArthur, Global News. Just ahead, privacy hypocrisy. Grieving parents can't convince Fraser Health to release details to the media about the death of their son after treatment. But Global News has found evidence Fraser Health isn't worried about patient privacy when the news is good. And the Cullen Commission report into money laundering at casinos is complete. The question is, when do you get to see it? 
Big delays here in Richmond for westbound traffic on the east-west connector. There's a single vehicle accident here just before Nelson in the left lane waiting for emergency crews to arrive on scene. Get best-in-class protection and savings with BCAA Insurance. Learn more at bcaa.com. I'm Trish Jewison in Global One, high above the east-west connector. Returning to our top story now and new developments in the uh, an arrest in the murder of Trina Hunt, a high profile murder. All right, let's get uh, straight to our Rumina Dea, who is live in Port Moody for us at the Hunt family home with what we are learning so far. Rumina. Sophie, I just spoke to a member of the family who said, oh, my God, this is insane. She told us that she had not been um, notified yet by police and they are just waiting to get an update. Now, it has been a year and a half almost with no answers, as you said, in this high profile murder. And then finally, this significant announcement. Now, just a short time ago, we did speak to some neighbors here. They told Global News that a man was was taken out of the home in handcuffs earlier today. Now, I hit confirming that one man has been arrested in connection to Trina Hunt's death. No charges have been laid, so no name is being released at this time. We have a clip now from a resident who shot the video of the police when they were here on scene. We were walking home from school and um, we saw three um, officers, um, one patrol, two detectives. We were walking up. There were some people at the top of the street. We asked them what happened. They said a suspect was um, put in handcuffs and put in the back of the cop car. Now, Trina's husband, Ian, was the last person to see his wife alive. He reported her missing on January 18th, 2021. More than two months would pass before Trina's remains were discovered in Hope on March 29th, 2021. Now, Trina's family had told Global News at the time that Ian had told them that they were in Hope visiting a campground and that they were on a digital detox. And that's why no one was able to contact them over the phone. Now, desperate for answers, the family had put up a $50,000 reward looking for any information that would help in this case. Now, Sophie and Chris, at this point, there are slim details as to what happened here today, what led police back to this house here today. We are waiting for an update from IHIT. If charges are laid, the suspect would likely make his first court appearance on Monday, which would have been Trina's 50th birthday. Back to you. All right, thanks for that update. Ramina Dea reporting for us uh, in Port Moody tonight. Ramina, thank you. The highly anticipated final report from the Commission into Money Laundering in B.C. has finally been delivered to the provincial government. B.C. Supreme Court Justice Austin Cullen heard from some 200 witnesses over more than 130 days, including former Premier Christy Clark and former cabinet ministers. The commission sparked by reports that hundreds of millions of dollars of organized crime money was laundered through B.C. casinos, real estate and luxury vehicles. The aim of this has been that the uh, commissioner doesn't sit as a judge so much as a fact finder who's out there to learn things and get important insights. And then very much in the spirit of helping the people of the province, 
What are the best possible policy recommendations? What sort of reforms are needed? Uh, the Public Inquiry Act requires that I present it to Cabinet, uh, and then Cabinet directs me about what can be publicly released. We hope to release the report as quickly as possible publicly because it was a public inquiry. We want the public to know uh, what the commissioner found. The family of an Abbotsford man who died in Saskatchewan after being turned away from a Regina hospital says hospital staff must be held accountable. A coroner's jury has handed down several recommendations after an inquest into his death. Kylie Stanton reports. He did everything right. He did everything correct. The family of Samuel Uko has spent the last five days reliving the worst moments of their life, hoping the coroner's inquest into his death will bring closure. We know that he was there and they did not care for him. No, 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 leave me. Leave me alone. It's been two years since Uko, a 20-year-old originally from Abbotsford, sought help for mental health issues at Regina General Hospital, but was denied access to care due to confusion over his ID during registration. On his second attempt, he was forcibly removed by security guards. No! No! Uko's body was recovered from a nearby lake later that same day. A tragedy, the family says, that could have been prevented. Samuel was a human who walked in and the people in the hospital did not see him as a human. And what we are calling for is for transparency, is for an admission of the role that racism and discrimination has played in this case. After hearing from two dozen witnesses, some who were in the emergency room at the time of Uko's second visit, the jury of six delivered 20 recommendations for the Saskatchewan Health Authority. They include having regular staff huddles on patient care, educating all staff on de-escalation tactics, and updating training on mental health care, as well as cultural diversity. But the family wants to see that go beyond training and also reflected in the hiring process. They have to make ER look like Canada. And while the purpose of the inquest isn't to lay blame, there was no holding back. The blame goes to all the staff who was working that day. They can only hope the inquest will bring about change in the healthcare system and no other family will have to suffer a loss as they have. Kylie Stanton, Global News. Well, the tragic case of an eight-year-old boy who died of a brain bleed after being sent home from Abbotsford Hospital is highlighting another issue in BC healthcare: how patient confidentiality is sometimes used as a shield to keep health authorities from being held accountable. As John Hua tells us, you don't have to look far to find examples of mixed messaging. I thought I'm not going to make it anymore. This is a heart-wrenching story from Abbotsford Regional Hospital. I knew that he was going to need to get intubated. And I just, it, yeah, it was really hard to see that. No privacy law issues about a COVID patient and medical staff discussing his personal health information. In a video posted by a third party, the Fraser Valley Healthcare Foundation, to help raise funds. He was ventilated, right? He was completely sedated. But when Global News gave Fraser Health written consent from Jackson Glubus's parents to discuss the care he received at the same hospital, BC's health minister took a different position on patient privacy. My expectation in such cases, and in every case, is that people's personal health information belongs to them. And that information will be provided to the family, not to, uh, not to Global News. Absolutely not true. Release the information and let the public have a look at what went wrong so we can learn to make sure it doesn't happen in the future. Chinsia Rossi and Daniel Glubis wanted Global News to ask Fraser Health questions 
about Jackson's care at Abbotsford Regional Hospital on their behalf. In December, the parents say the 8-year-old was rushed to hospital with what turned out to be a brain bleed, but was sent home with Tylenol and Advil. The next day he died during emergency surgery at BC Children's. I'm extremely disappointed in Fraser Health for them to continue to deny my son his rights. Privacy advocates say these two examples help show there is nothing in legislation stopping a health authority from discussing patient information with a third party if there's written consent to do so. I think it's clear in this instance that privacy isn't the issue here, that it's simply the health authority choosing not to speak. The system protects itself. But the interests of the patient and the families get left on the sidelines. Jackson's family calls it a double standard. They don't want the media, they don't want people to hear what happened. They don't want to take accountability. That seems to put raising money ahead of being transparent about what happened to their son. John Hua, Global News. And coming up, a dream comes true for a young child with cancer. His uncle reached out worldwide to different organizations. How the little boy joined the ranks of North Shore Rescue and became a hero all the way from Ireland. Also tonight, high drama at the Jacob Hoggard sexual assault trial. Counterflow has been out for a while at the Massey Tunnel, so two lanes northbound, but still a bit of extra traffic heading north out of Delta on the approach. Today's Lotto Max jackpot is an estimated $70 million, plus an estimated 43 Max Millions. Lotto Max, dream to the max. I'm Trish Jewison in Global One at the Massey Tunnel. Well, today is National Gun Violence Awareness Day in the U.S. So here's a staggering statistic for you. Since January 1st, not a single week has passed without at least four mass shootings. The U.S. president is urging lawmakers to find some common ground in order to rein in gun violence. But as Global's Reggie Cicchini explains, it's a request that often faces stiff partisan pushback. In a country somewhat accustomed to the scenes of mass shooting memorials, there's a renewed push to break free from a deadly trend. It's a must that we stand strong and stand together and support the nation. Gun violence in the U.S. is on the rise. In the nine days since the massacre in Uvalde, Texas, there have been 20 other mass shootings in America. How many more innocent American lives must be taken before we say enough, enough? Mere minutes after asking that question, a shooting outside a church in Ames, Iowa, killed three people. A crisis the White House is looking to tackle. The issue we face is one of conscience and common sense. The broad majority of Americans want stronger background checks and red flag laws. Lawmakers will hear from survivors of two recent mass shootings who will testify before Congress in the coming days. Folks need to maintain their rage. They need to turn that rage into action and they need to lean hard into actual well-researched solutions as opposed to just lashing out. An assault weapons ban was on the books in the U.S. from 1994 to 2004, but compromise has fallen into the partisan divide. Involvement by the White House has drawn both praise and fire as it tries to navigate a crisis steeped in tradition over access to guns. And if we've made the decision to accept that level of risk, it's our responsibility to find ways to mitigate that risk. Some states, both red and blue, are raising age limits for assault rifle purchases, decisions that will likely face a legal challenge, putting more pressure on politicians to seize this moment to prevent the next tragedy. 
Reggie Cicchini, Global News, Washington. Jurors in the sexual assault trial of Canadian singer Jacob Hogard will deliberate into the weekend after telling the court on Friday they're still deadlocked on some of the charges. The 37-year-old lead singer of Headley is accused of repeatedly raping a teenaged fan and a young Ottawa woman in separate incidents in 2016. Hogard claims both sexual encounters were consensual. The judge told the jury he knows they're tired and have been working hard, but that there is no deadline for their verdict. Well, North Shore Rescue often deals with unusual and difficult calls, but one recent appeal for help was quite different. This call came from Ireland, a fellow first responder making a worldwide plea to help fulfill the dream of a terminally ill little boy. And as Catherine Urquhart reports, the crews from the North Shore were immediately spurred into action. Like so many children, seven-year-old Adam loves firefighters and police officers. Tragically, he has terminal cancer, and his dreams of becoming a first responder at home in Ireland will never happen. At least, that's what his family thought. His uncle reached out worldwide to different organizations to ask them to show support. Half a world away, in North Vancouver, North Shore Rescue answers the call. I immediately thought of giving him an opportunity to be a rescuer um, on a mission with us. We've got a subject that's on the east face in very steep terrain. They use previous footage to set up a mock incident. We've got your jacket here. This is your rescue tech jacket. Next is going to be your helmet. you got to get going now. Adam is able to participate and be a rescuer. And keep your eyes peeled. So I reached out to the family, didn't really tell them what we were doing, but said, hey, we're, we're gonna try to make something for Adam. Can we get some voice clips? I seen their actual clinical. The subject is plucked to safety. Yeah, we're all good down here. All right, that's great news. Okay. For the little boy back in Ireland, it provides a joyful moment of heroism. Okay, Adam, the call's done. You got the subject home safely. Great work. Adam is now an honorary member of North Shore Rescue, which is encouraging donations to Cops for Cancer. We're all so lucky. Um, we're able to do this. We're not living with cancer. Um, so I think it's the onus is on us to give back. Catherine Urquhart, Global News. Coming up, remembering the Rolling Stones riot. What sparked the violence that had police moving in on horseback? And it's Friday. Don't forget about satellite debris. I had multiple umbrellas working uh, today, and I, <laughs> apparently throughout the weekend. I better not forget it here. Pretty intense rain out there, Yvonne, and even the risk of, of thunderstorms and lightning in some areas. Yeah, we've been tracking it for the interior. For example, this afternoon, Pitt Meadows got up to 25 millimeters, the airport 13. So we did have a range, uh, but it was intense for many spots. And yes, double umbrellas were necessary, and we may need that for the latter half of the weekend. And I'll show you why in just a moment. We're managing to catch a break, though, and this is along the west end for the water right now. We're seeing that out of the airport with a mainly cloudy sky and temperatures currently sitting at 17. 
17 degrees. There's the break that we're seeing along the west end. We've had some heavier pockets still lingering, especially towards the Fraser Valley, and we'll see that along the island for the western edge and pushing its way just along the Sunshine Coast. Now, the thunderstorm activity is winding down. The severe thunderstorm watch has ended. That's for the southern half of the province, but we are going to still track that instability as we get in towards both days out of the weekend, but we are seeing a bit of a reprieve, especially as we get in late this evening and looking ahead towards tomorrow. An update once again or another look at the flood concerns. We'll be watching this very closely. We've got a few spots in yellow, orange rather. That's where we've got the flood watch for the Thompson, Kelowna and Boundary regions all included within that. River levels are rising and may exceed Bankful and we're looking for the peak of it, especially as we get in towards our Sunday. Now the big concern will be additional rainfall amounts for all areas across the province. The timeline will be for Saturday night leading in towards our Sunday morning and it should start to taper off for most areas in terms of that additional amounts and we'll see 10 and up to 20 for most areas along the south coast. Now the northern half of the province, a bit of instability with the risk of thunderstorms, especially extending inland tomorrow. A bit of a break for the central interior. Most areas along the southern half will see that wave of rain pushing in. It'll be late day for tomorrow and then looking ahead towards Sunday. Most areas along the south coast will see some of that heavier rainfall Saturday night in towards our Sunday. So for tomorrow morning, we'll look at a chance of showers. We may catch a few breaks in there and then it's late rain for the evening hours. Monday, Sunday morning rather, a bit of a soaker and then drying out a bright spot when we look ahead in the long range looks to be on our Tuesday. Tonight's weather window, this guy enjoying the gray view out there in Port Moody. Guys. <laughs> Looking for lunch. <laughs> too. All right, thanks very much, Yvonne. Well, today marks the 50th anniversary of one of the most violent riots in Vancouver's history, and we've had a few now, mm -hmm. outside of a Rolling Stones concert. Yeah, this one had nothing to do with the Canucks. The Stones were playing the first show of their 1972 North American tour at the Pacific Coliseum when a number of fans discovered they had bought fake tickets. Vancouver police had been expecting trouble and they were out in force. The trouble ended quickly when Vancouver police stormed the rioters, but dozens of people, including police officers, were injured. We have had a lot of riots here, which is unfortunate. Too many. Too many. Uh, Squire joins us now, and I know he did a story a couple of years ago about on that, that very thing. On that very event. Yeah. Would you remember the opening act? I don't remember the opening I mean, you wouldn't act. have been there, but... Well, I wasn't there. My mother had her... She wouldn't let me out then because I was yeah. very young. <laughs> I think if, well, there was a guy who emailed me about it to remind me that today was the 50th anniversary, and he said it was Stevie Wonder. Really? Yeah. Really? Yeah. Now, that wow, would have been a great a show. Because inside, nobody knew there was a riot going on. It was outside, right. basically on Renfrew. Nobody knew inside what was happening. Amazing. Yeah, that would have they been a good show, show for sure. Mm -hmm. All right. Uh, speaking of... Uh, Stars and heroes in Vancouver. Canada's men's soccer team never got the BC place during the final World Cup qualifying tournament, but they are here now and they'll play two straight at BC place. They get a chance to see to see these heroes, and that's what they are. Sunday it's Panama and Canada. Next Thursday, Canada and Curacao. Canada will get another uh, final round of friendlies in September, but those will likely be played in Europe. All right, thanks very much, Squire. Also, tonight's satellite debris. Look at me, I'm all, I'm all blurry. Go ahead. Big week, yeah, big weekend for soccer. It's a big weekend for BC Place. Yeah. Lions tonight, Whitecaps tomorrow. Canada's men's team on Sunday. They'll have to keep the roof closed, though. 
Well, that's yeah. a good thing they've got that roof. Uh, the men's team is getting ready for actually two games at BC Place. Sunday's the first one, next Thursday's the other one. Uh, these are the first games for Canada in Canada since uh, World Cup qualifying ended on March 30th. Canada, of course, qualified for the World Cup, but they lost the final game of the tournament, one nothing in Panama, which might have kept them from being higher ranked before the World Cup draw. Panama is the opponent on Sunday, and even though they aren't going to the World Cup, the Canadians expect a battle. The Panamanians through World Cup qualifying were one of the, the top teams. They had results against Canada, USA and Mexico. And I think for us, we've got a bit of a score to sell. You know, that last game in Panama was a tough match for us. You know, we didn't want to end our campaign with a loss. And so this is it's a bit of a grudge match for us. You'll see a full intensity. This isn't a, an international friendly when it's a game against Panama. And the game this Sunday against Panama and the one next Thursday at BC Place against Curacao will be the last chance to see Canada's men's national team here live and in person before they head off to the World Cup, which starts in November. I mean, we'd love to have got here in the qualifying, but some of the travel schedules were, were difficult. So we made a commitment to, to be here and, you know, hopefully all the young fans, the, the parents and just people who followed this team for a long time and just couldn't access the games out east, they get a chance to see to see these heroes, and that's what they are. And lower bowl seats, 30 bucks this Sunday, I believe, which is a pretty good price for that. Uh, the BC Lions play their final preseason game tonight against Saskatchewan, also at BC Place. Look for quarterback Nathan Rourke to start this game, play most, if not all, of the first half. He didn't play a second in the first exhibition game in Calgary. And after this one... Things get real. The Lions will open the regular season June 11th at home to Edmonton. Got to show you this from the Memorial today. This is Adam Hadwin of Abbotsford on the 16th. He's got a seven iron in his hand. Always got a lovely ball flight. It's a par three. Drops very nicely and rolls right in the hole. He had a 59 once, but I think this is his first hole in one on the PGA Tour. So he's done two impressive things in his career, including win. Look at his reaction one more time. This is uh, from the bug camera. There you go. It's yours. That's a one. That's an ace. He made the cut at even par. Surrey's Adam Svensson also made the cut at minus one. Mackenzie Hughes is tied for 13th at minus four. This is the leader. Look at You can't even see his ball. Cameron Smith. Professional duff. This is a bird. He's a one-shot lead at eight under par. The man with the magical mullet chipping in for Bird. The Vancouver Warriors have fired some of their coaching staff after a 6-12 season. Head coach Chris Gill and assistant Caleb Toth were both let go. Gill was hired back in 2018 by the Warriors. No replacements have been named as of yet. Andre Vasilevsky got torched in game one for six against the Rangers. He gets some offensive help early on the power play. Nikita Kucherov. Beats Igor Shosturkin. It's 1-0 with Corey Perry causing havoc in front. Now it's 1-1, and now Adam Fox with the brilliant little pass to Capo Caco. And it's 2-1 Rangers late in the second. They lead the series one game to none. Layla Annie Fernandez has had to pull out of Wimbledon because of a stress fracture on her foot. She hopes to be back playing tournaments in August after she spends some time rehabbing the injury, which occurred during her match at the French Open earlier this week against Martina Trevisan. 
Fernandez had to take a medical timeout and get the foot worked on, but she kept on playing after that. It was a three-set match. Not sure if continuing to play made it worse, but the diagnosis is a grade three stress fracture. Rafael Nadal, Alex Verev, semi-final action today at the French Open. Some spectacular points, as you'd expect. This is first set action. It went 91 minutes, the first set. Zverev at the net, yes. Give me the pre-serve ritual, Mr. Nadal. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. I love that. It's always the same. He's got it down. And it works. Especially at the French Open, which he has won 13 times in his career. Nice. You think that's a nice point? Check this out. Nadal won the first set. Watch him get two here. Aye! And again, look at that. The sad thing about this match is it never got past the second set because look what happened to Zverev. Turns his ankle right there. Oh no. This probably would have gone five sets. This does not and these two guys are old buddies. And he had to quit. So Nadal makes the final. He'll take on Casper Ruud in the final on the weekend. That's a tough way to go up. Too bad. That was a great match, the way it, it was going. It, yeah, it was going to go on for hours. Yep. Thanks. All right, Satellite Debris is next. Stay with us. Are we, uh, are we in focus right now? We made it to Friday. Uh, I don't know. I can't tell because why? Pretty sure we are. Are you feeling fuzzy? A little. <laughs> I don't know where this is going. Might not just be the TV. <laughs> uh, we start, and this is a good segue to this commercial, the iPhone 13 Pro. <laughs> Can I ask you a question? Am I out of focus? You're fine. Yeah, but I mean, look at me, I'm all, I'm all blurry. Well, you're supporting cast. What? The camera focuses on the most important character, which is me. Well, what if my character had a big reveal? Like what? Like maybe I'm the killer. Are you? Yeah. No. Could have been. Could have been the killer. all in focus which is are we yeah i put the fear of god in jeff our camera up there but (laughs) sorry jeff okay so let's uh this happened a couple of months ago but i wanted to show you this this is from gopro rafael breedy uh this is a slack line world record he is 6131 feet above terra firma going between two hot air balloons this happened Oh in goodness. December, and those are clouds. This is not CGI. This is real. Is he wearing a parachute? I don't know what he's wearing. I don't see any. Does he have working without a net? Shoulders. Well, I think Safety? he must be He has something. In. Oh okay. yeah, you can see a line right there. Okay, he's got the line. <laughs> but it doesn't matter because line this doesn't guy really give me comfort. Is going to make it. Now I wouldn't do this. Most of us wouldn't do this. But <laughs> he's doing it, and he made it. There you go, world record. 
6,131 feet, which is just over 1.1 miles in the air. And also when you know you have to do it for a commercial, like that's extra Under pressure. pressure. But he was in focus the whole time. <laughs> uh, okay, a few uh, old favorites. David Harbour from uh, Stranger Things. We'll start things off with Tide. And then a series of bloopers from a commercial from White Bear Mitsubishi Motors. Here we go. Sarah? Sarah? It's a Tide ad. Hello again, ladies. Is your man the kind of man who would climb the height? <clears throat> I'm in a Tide ad. Nice pants. Get off my horse. Tie dad. I wore the wrong socks. She wanted to take four. I wore the wrong socks. Have you tried the hot dogs here? He's like, ah. Do you have to go home for the rest of the day? <laughs> He's not going to be much use to us, I don't think. The <laughs> Needless to say, I didn't get my deposit. <laughs> Needless to say, I didn't get my deposit back. And Wiper Mitsubishi is a proud sponsor of Golden Goat for Hockey. <laughs> Are you okay? mascots is no matter what happens and they always have that smile on their face. Oh, I want him to take it off and see what happened to him. <laughs> Poor guy. At least he had padding. Oh. He had a lot of padding. Pretty oh sure. And the great both. thing is it's embarrassing, but nobody really knows who he is. <laughs> That's, That's true. That's right. true. He could have been bright red. Yeah. It's his secret. Thanks very much for ending the week on a fun note, Squire, and thanks for watching, everybody. Have a great weekend. Stay dry. Good night, all. Hi, it's Shauna, and I might be a bad parent because my kids think french fries are vegetables. Hey, it's Ryan, and I might be a bad parent because I went out for wings when my wife was in the hospital after giving birth. Johnny here. I might be a bad parent because in my house, the tooth fairy gives pocket change. But we're not alone. Len emailed us and said his six-year-old daughter's Tarzan moment going from love seat to lazy boy by curtains made him more proud than any dance <laughs> recital. And Andy left his two-year-old at the rink. All right, guys, I'm sure we're not alone. Like Andy's kid. For stories and confessions like this, make sure you check out our podcast. It's called Bad Parents, and it's available wherever you get your podcasts. I left a glove at the rink.